This is Truth and Love Ministries, where we bring people home to God by learning His truth and experiencing His unending love. In today's message, we will dive deep into Proverbs 4.23 and discover five things we should do to guard our hearts. We pray this message refreshes you and speaks encouragement to whatever is going on in your life right now. Now for the message, Caring for Your Soul. I want to say good morning to everybody. It's a blessing to be here, to be alive. As I thought about the state of the nation and the condition of the world and all that is happening in it, I thought about that we are close to about 500,000 people who have died. And the, the thing that we need to look at and consider, God have mercy on those families that have lost loved ones to the coronavirus. God have mercy on those who are sick, even now, those that are dealing with it even as we speak. But if you consider nearly a half a million people who have died from the coronavirus, and yet God has so graciously allowed us to still be here, for some of our family members to have it and still be alive, for some of the people we know to have it and still be in the land of the living, we need to be grateful to our God. We need to praise him and thank him for his care for us, his love and concern, his watchful eye. He is having our time in, in his hand. Him having the keys to death, hell, and the grave. That no matter what the, the, the statistics say, no matter what the people say, no matter who they say should die from it or who, who is likely to die from it, we are still alive. And it's not because of the wisdom of man. It's not because of our carefulness. It's not because of our separation. It's because of our God. It's because God inspired us to pray, come together and pray the day we heard about the pandemic in the nation. The last day we were in this church, God had us to pray. And God has honored so gratefully, graciously, and so faithfully that prayer that we, he inspired us to pray. He inspired us to pray. The Bible says, if you ask anything according to his, to his will, we know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know that we have the petition that we desire of him. And because he inspired us to pray this, we know that he heard us. And he, we know that he, he has graciously answered that prayer. And we are so ever, forever grateful to our God for taking care of us and his people. We need to continue to pray for those people in Texas who are, who are some have f- f- children have actually died and people have actually died in Texas from freezing to death. Can you believe that's happening in America? People are starving. People have been having to boil their water and not having heat and not having access to the necessities of life. We need to consider ourselves blessed again, and we need to pray for those who are struggling and are less fortunate than we are. We need to pray for those that are in the power and in authority so that they don't play the blame game and that men will take responsibility and do what's necessary and needed to build up and sustain our power grids and, 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 and structure, infrastructure in, in America, that, we'll deal, that they'll deal with the issues. I pray that God will help them to get over politics and party and start to think about people because that's what it's all about. That's what it all boils down to. I pray God will help these men to turn away from 
being faithful and loyal to people and, 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 and not, to, not to the people that sent them there. Being, being loyal and faithful to a party and, 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 and a certain group and just resist everything that comes from the other party. I pray God will help them to realize that no one party, no one people, no one group is absolutely and completely right and correct within themselves. I pray for a spirit of compromise in our government that God will cause them to see the error of their ways. I pray for God to remove the hardness from their heart, that take out that heart of stone and put in within them a heart of flesh, a heart that's sensitive, sensitive and tender to him, a heart that hears his voice, a heart that yields to him and submits to him. I pray for God to help and have mercy with a, with a, with a, with a threat of violence and, and, and racial violence in this, in this country. You know, everything is, seems to be going black and white. It has always been that way to a certain degree, but now it's, it's getting to be more and more defined and more and more of an issue in this country. So I pray God will, will diffuse this, this racial, racial tension that's, that's, that's growing between people in this country. And I just thank God for the vaccine and those that have taken it. I pray, Lord, to pray God that it will, be, it will be effective and do only what it was sent and assigned to do, and that is to tackle and heal or keep people from co contracting the coronavirus. I praise you and thank you, my Lord and my God, for doing this. I pray for all of our people. I pray, Father, for them where, wherever they are, what they're facing, what they're dealing with and going through. Some are not even speaking their issues. Some have not even let on to that, that, that they're facing things. But, Lord, I just, I just lift them up to you, sir, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. As I look around this room, Lord, I just... I just, I just pray. I just pray for the people that I see, Lord God. I just, I'm asking you, Father, to touch them. I'm asking you to work with them and move in their situations and circumstances with their families, their children, their health, whatever situations they're dealing with, Lord. I'm asking you to work in it, sir, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, sir. I counsel every plan that Satan would have against them, Lord God. We break the pile of negative words that, that, that Satan has spoken to them, through them, over them, or about them. We counsel every chance, spell, potion, every form of witchcraft, Father, that the devil may have somehow manipulated, instigated in or through somebody to, to speak contrary and against God's people. And I cover them all right now in the precious blood of Jesus, a bloodline that no enemy, no evil can cross. Father, I pray for the peace of your people, Lord God. I pray for the unity and harmony of your people. I pray, Father, that you would shower them with mercy. I'm asking you to be with them on their jobs and, and when they're, while they're in school and, and whatever else they're dealing with, Lord. I'm asking you to be right in the middle of it, and I know you are. You said the very hairs of our heads are numbered. And even when a sparrow falls to the ground, you are aware of it, Lord God. So, Father, I know that you are watching over your people, Lord God. I know that you are taking care of them even as we speak, Lord. I thank you, sir. I thank you for working. I thank you for moving. I thank you for being in their midst, Lord God. I thank you for being a very present help in their time of trouble. I pray for those in that, 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 are, that I see that may feel that God is distant from them. 
that he's not hearing their prayers, that he's not, he's, not, he's not listening to them. I pray for those that feel that God may even be angry with them, Lord God. I pray that you let them know that you are a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of grace, a God of peace, that you also are just God. But, Lord, I just pray that you just dispel the darkness that's around them, Lord God. And, and, and I pray, pray, pray every lie be shattered in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And Father, I thank you for working, for moving, for being in the midst, Lord, of your people right now, sir, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, this morning we want to continue on talking about the soul. For the past two weeks we talked about, we started, we started about the value of your soul, knowing and understanding the value of your soul that God breathed into us. It came from God. It lasts forever. It can experience joy and misery. That it's going to be, it's an eternal thing. And, and I, I just pray that God will grace us and help us. And I talked last week about the saving of the soul. That we, that, that what does it profit a man? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? If he gains everything that we can literally see, touch, taste, feel, put our hands on and lose our soul, what does it profit us? What does it profit us? And we lose the thing that lasts for an eternity, and that is our soul. And all the deceptions that Satan tried to put in place to make us believe that we're okay even when we're not, to deceive us into believing that we're, we're saved when we're not. I pray this for every person, myself included, that God won't allow us to lead this world without knowing Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. That God won't allow any of us to lead this world without our souls being saved. Our souls being saved. And today, we want to continue along that line. We want to talk about today the caring for your soul. If your soul is going to last forever, if, if, it's, if it's so precious, if God breathed it into us, and if it's, if it's going to last forever and, it's, and it can suffer misery and joy, it can go to heaven or hell, it can, it can, it can, it can go through all kind of things. If, if it's so valuable, then we need to take care of it. We need to do some things in order to, to care for our soul and to make sure our soul is not lost I want to I want to read just a quote from Benjamin Franklin, a man that 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 was around him. He said two things, Benjamin. Two questions Benjamin Franklin would ask himself on a daily basis, and the first question he would ask himself is this: What good shall I do today? What good shall I do today? And then at the end of the day, what is the second question he would ask? What good did I do today? What good? did I do today? And if, and, if we think of, and if we think about it, you know, uh, uh, Socrates, he actually, he actually warned, he was warning that the unexamined life is not a life worth living. An unexamined life is not a life worth living. Even the scripture says, examine yourself and see whether you be in the faith or no. And we need to, every now and then, we need to look at ourselves. We need to examine ourselves. We need to see who we are, where we are, why we are. We need to take a look at our day at the end of the day. If you don't do anything else, you need to, you need to ask yourself these questions. What good can I do today? And then at the end of the day, what good did I do today? And let's take it one, one, two, two questions, one question further. 
What evil did I do today? What evil did I do today? What words did I speak that I should have kept to myself? What things did I say that I should, have, should not have said? What things did I do that I shouldn't have done? And let us look at ourselves in a real, realistic way and to be honest and truthful with ourselves. The scripture that we want to use today is in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. It says, keep, the King James says, guard. Keep or guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the springs of life or the issues of life. The, heart, the, the word heart actually refers to the inner life. And what the writer of Proverbs is talking about here is the life of the soul. And, and, and today the message is going to be kind of practical on what does it mean to keep your heart. What does it look like? Why is, it, why is this so important and, and how am I to go about doing this? And so, once again, I'm going to say this scripture continually because I want you to get it in your heart. You know, guard your heart, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it flows the issues or the springs of life. You might say, well, only God can keep my heart. That's like a farmer sitting saying only God can make my harvest grow. So he sits around and twiddles his thumb, you know, and he, and he does nothing. Guess what he's going to have? He's going to actually have nothing. He's going to actually have nothing. When you read Psalm 139, it says, Search me, O God, and, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of a lasting. If you, I always quote that scripture differently. I always say, Search me, O God, that I may know my heart. Try me that I may know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I, I, I read it that way because the heart is so important. It's so important that here God gives us a command, an active duty. This is something that God calls his people to do. He says for us to guard, to keep, to protect our heart with all vigilance, for out of it flows the springs of life. When you become a Christian, God gives you a new heart, a heart that loves God, a heart that trusts God. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. But God also says to us, keep your heart. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the very issues of life. A gentleman named John Flavel, he said these words. He said, the greatest difficulty in conversion is to win the heart to God. And he said, the greatest difficulty after conversion is to keep the heart with God. And that is so true. That is so true. The greatest difficulty to convert a man to Jesus is to win his heart. And the greatest difficulty after conversion is to, is to keep the heart with God. And God said in Samuel on one occasion, he said, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. In 1 Samuel 16, the primary focus of the eye of God is fixed on, on your heart. So the eye of the Christian should be fixed where? It should be fixed on the eye, on the heart too. It should be fixed on the heart as well. Flavel also says, the keeping and right managing of the heart in every condition is one great business of a Christian's life.
In other words, man, this, there's nothing more important. There's nothing more important for you to guard, watch, keep your heart. And, 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 the, and the truth is, our hearts are exposed to us. We see it. We see it on a daily basis. We see it constantly and consistently. Another gentleman by the name of Octavius Winslow, he said these words, if there's one consideration more humbling than any other to a spiritually minded believer, it is that after God has done for him, after rich displays of his grace, the patience and tenderness of, uh, tenderness of, of, of his instructions, the repeated discipline of his covenant, the, the tokens of love received, and the lessons of experience learned, there should still exist in the heart a principle, the tendency of which is to secret, perpetual, and alarming departure from God. In simple words, he's saying this, after all God has done for us, after all your Christian experience as a Christian, after your service to him as in whatever capacity you may serve him, after everything that you, you testify from your own mouth that God has done for you. Every one of us can, can stand up today and say something that we have seen many things multiple times that God has done for us. We can all stand up and say that. We can all speak and testify to that. But the sad part is there still exists in your heart a pulling away from God. It is secret, it is perpetual, and it is alarming that no matter how God, good God is, think about it. I want you to just think for a minute. The average person, when, when life gets to be difficult, no matter what they've seen God do, the first thought in their mind is to walk away from God, to walk away from the church, to stop praying, to stop, to stop seeking, to stop searching, to, to leave God. The one that we can stand and testify, it's in the heart of every believer. Every believer has this issue to deal with, every one of us. And John, John Bunyan is famous for writing uh, uh, Pilgrim's Progress, but he, he wrote another book called Holy War, in which he pictured the soul as a walled city surrounded by enemies. This, this, I want you to see the soul as a walled city surrounded by enemies. And he said these words, there are enemies on the outside of the city who need to be resisted. But check this out. He said, and there are traitors inside the city who need to be tracked down and, and exposed. Think about that. Think about it. There's enemies on the outside that need to be resisted. And within every man's heart, there's a traitor on the inside that needs to be tracked down and exposed. It makes me think about the United States of America, how secure we actually think and thought that we were how we have all these systems in place to protect us from the enemies from the outside. We have all kind of agencies, the FBI, the CIA, Homeland Security, and different agencies that's, that's sitting daily watching, listening to conversations to protect us from the enemy on the outside. But guess what? There were some traitors on the inside. There were some traitors on the inside that just about so, so casually, so easily walked down the street and took over our 
United States Capitol. And that's the way it is with our soul. That's the way it is with the heart of man. That's the way it is with us. There are enemies on the outside, but I believe this. I believe it's, it's the same way with terrorists, that terrorists have sales, and they communicate. They communicate from the outside to the inside. But let me say this. I believe that those enemies on the outside have a tendency to communicate with the traitors on the inside, and I'm talking about the inside of our heart, and actually appeal to those things which are on the inside of us. That's why Jesus spoke these words when he, was, when he was on the earth. He said, Satan has come and has found nothing in me. In other words, he said, the enemy on the outside had no traitor on the inside to communicate to get me to do or, or, or attack me in any way, shape, or form. And so it is with our soul. We have to recognize that there are enemies on the outside willing, seeking to communicate with the traitors on the inside of us to get us to do something contrary to the Jesus that we say we serve. And our job is to watch and see. Our job is to, is to, to be alert and observe and know what's going on on the inside of us to know what's going on in the inside of us, to come to a real place in life where we stop blaming other people for our, for our faults, for our failures, for our weaknesses, for our angers, for our resentment, for our bitterness, for our unforgiveness, for our lies. We have to come to a place where we say, Lord, this is me. We have to be like the thief on the cross. I'm here because I stole God, I see this on the inside of me, and I believe this with all my heart, and I say this continually, and I want people to constantly and consistently remember these words. Remember this, that when you are in a situation, when you are faced with a test, God is not exposing to you what, who other people are. The Bible says judgment begins with the house of God. In other words, God is not exposing to you what's in your neighbor's heart. He's allowing you to see what's in you. And you have to ask yourself this question. Why did I respond that way? Why do I feel that way? Why did that hurt me? Why did it cause me to do what I did? We have to ask ourselves these real questions. We got to stop pointing out and start looking in in order for us to see what God is trying to reveal to his people so that we can grow and we can move on from where we are to where God wants us to be. And, 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 and the, the, the heart of a Christian is like a city that needs to be guarded. Your heart needs constant defending against the enemies on the outside and the traitors hidden inside your heart. Let me say it again. Guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. So let's ask the question, why keep your heart? Why keep your heart? Keep your heart, for from it flows the springs of life. Bunyan took his imagery from a world of military conflict. Now I want to use a different, different image, a different picture, the world of music. I want you to think about the world of music for just a moment. Now, I, I've seen people that have all of these, these fine instruments and high-dollar instruments. And these people, every time they take these instruments out, every time before they use these instruments, what do they always do? They always take them out, and they would tune them. You would think that somebody that paid 
hundreds of thousands of dollars for, for an instrument, that thing, once you tune it, would be able to stay in tune. But they didn't. It, was, it, it, it did not. It, 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 they, they constantly, constantly had to keep, it, keep tuning it. They constantly had to do it. The first thing they did was to tune it. And guess what? Your heart is like one of those instruments. It is of great value. It cost a lot. It cost Jesus his life. It is of great value. It is of more value than the whole world. But its nature is that it, is, it constantly falls out of tune. It constantly falls out of tune like that instrument. It constantly falls out of tune. So what happens? I need to tune my heart. I need to keep my heart because from it flows the spring of, springs of life. If I were to go a day or a week with my heart out of tune with God, the music that would come from my life would be horrible. It would be horrible. It would be unbearable to listen to. It wouldn't be beautiful. It wouldn't be atonal. The sound would be ugly, offensive to people around you, and most of all, it would be offensive to God. Think about the devil. I, 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 from reading the scripture, the Bible says he, when he, he would open his mouth and beautiful music would flow from the inside of him. Beautiful music would flow from the inside of the devil. And guess what? After he realized and wanted to become a God to himself, wanted to determine what was right and wrong, wanted to be higher than the most high God, wanted to be bigger than God, wanted to be greater than God, guess what happened? When he opened his mouth, no longer did beautiful music flow from him. No longer did it come out of him anymore. But it became ugly. Why? Because he no longer was in tune with God. He was no longer in tune with God. But if we'll keep our heart in tune, something beautiful will come from it. Flow from it will flow the springs of life and joy and love and peace and strength and courage and contentment. All flow from a heart that is kept in tune. Where does the springs of life come from? What would really, what would make you really happy? Let's ask ourselves that question. If you could have, if you could just have one thing, one thing, what would it be? What would it be? What would make you say, this is life? This is real living. The natural instinct for us is to think that if the circumstances of our lives were different, the springs of life would flow. When I'm in a different place, when I have a different job, when I'm in a different financial position, when I'm in a different relationship, ask yourself this question, where do I think the springs of life flow from? Being married, having children, having children who believe, living in a, in a certain city or state, leading a thriving ministry, where do the springs of life flow from? God is telling us the answer. He's telling us the springs of life flow from the heart. So wherever you go, whatever you do, you carry your heart with you. If you do not guard your heart, the springs of life will be blocked up for you. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you will carry the fountain of unhappiness unhappiness with you. No change of circumstances will ever change 
this reality because it comes from the heart. So keeping the heart is of huge importance. The million dollar question is how are we to do this? How to keep your heart? How to keep your heart? I want to look at five things, five ways on how we can keep our heart. Five ways how we can keep our heart. The first one is watch. Keep your heart with vigilance. This means watching. A wise Christian studies the Bible and his or, own, his or her own heart. You have to become the expert on your own heart. No one is in a better position to do this than you. Jesus said, he said, watch and pray so that you don't enter into temptation. Paul said to Timothy, watch, watch your life and your doctrine in 1 Timothy 4.16. And he said to the Ephesian elders, watch yourselves and over the flock and, over the, and, and, and the flock over which God has made you overseers in Acts 20.28. 20, How are we to do this? Most of us, most of you will be familiar with the concept of a dashboard. When you think about a dashboard on a car, you get in your car and there's a dashboard. Guess what? As you drive along the road, there's certain information that you need to have close at hand. How fast am I going? How much gas do I have left in the tank? Then there's other information like the temperature of the engine and the level of the oil. That we, 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 we may watch and we may not watch them constantly, but if the temperature of your engine rises, you need to know. All of this information is displayed on the dashboard in front of you. And even in business, even in business, there are certain metrics, there are certain things on the dashboard for a business that helps them to realize and recognize when sales are falling, when the business is in trouble, when, 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 when we're losing customers or when we're not meeting production goals. There are, certain, there are certain metrics that they watch in order to know the, the state and the condition of the business. And so it is with our life. So it is with our life. And let me give you some examples of red lights that you might want to put on your dashboard. Fear could be one of them. Pride, greed, self-pity, resentment, cowardice, anger, hard thoughts about God and coldness in worship, any sense of formality in worship or any sense of going through the motions. You know, a lot of times, man, you'd be amazed at how many people sit up in church and they go through the motions of worship. They go through the motions, but they never really enter in. These, all of this stuff is dangerous. All of this stuff is deceptive. All of this is a man fooling him, fooling himself, fooling itself. There are just a few impulses of the heart that you might want to put on your dashboard, dashboard and, and you can keep these, but, 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 but remember God says to you, keep your heart, not your neighbor's heart. No, no one can know the impulses that lurk in your heart better than you. So be honest with yourself and identify the impulses of the heart that you most need to guard against. I would even encourage you to get a pen and paper and to write some of these things down. Begin to make listings of things that belong on your dashboard because it will give you clarity. And over time, these items should change. You shouldn't have the same thing on your dashboard 20 years from now. 
These things should change over time. New situations will bring new challenges, so you need to keep your dashboard current. John Calvin said this. He said that nearly all the wisdom we need comes in two parts, the knowledge of God and knowledge of ourselves. That means you've got to know God and you've got to know your own heart. Don't be a stranger to your own heart. Keep your heart with all diligence. Keep your own heart. Keep your heart is, is the word. Watch your heart for changes and trends. A.W. Pink says this. He said, for the Christian to keep his heart means for him to pay close attention to the direction in which his affections are moving, to discover whether the things of the world are gaining a firmer or fuller hold over him or whether they are increasingly losing their charm for him. Watch the direction in which things are moving in your heart. Keep your heart with all vigilance. The, mo the momentum of sin, which always begins in the heart, is like a stone rolling down a hill. Guess what? If you catch that stone when it first starts rolling, it's easy to stop before, before it gains momentum. But once it gains momentum, it's very, very difficult to stop that thing. So it is with our heart. So it is with our heart. We, we need to watch when sin starts to try to gain momentum in our heart because once it starts, it's very difficult for us to, for it to stop. Watch for the flickering of a red light on the dashboard. Anytime that you hear of a story of a Christian whose life has gone into total collapse, you can be sure of one thing. Whenever you hear about this, one thing has happened. You can be sure that behind that story, that person had a long history of not dealing with their own sin. You can, you can rest assured that that's a true fact that when a life is in collapse, that person has refused to deal with the issues of their own lives, the sin of their own lives. Number two, the second thing we need to do is we need to investigate, investigate. In Galatians 5, 7, says, it says, you were running well. Who hindered you? Who hindered you? You remember the days when you found joy in Christ, your love for the Savior burned brightly. You had great, great passion for the advance of the gospel. You made significant sacrifices. You faced difficulties with courage. You battled against deeply rooted sins in your life, and you grew in holiness. Ask yourself the question, what happened to me? What happened? What happened? What stopped me? What are the weights that have slowed me down? What is in you that has got in the way of your continued progress? What has hindered you or who has hindered you? This is a place to be ruthlessly honest with yourself. You say, I'm not really sure. Then ask God to show you your heart. Pray the prayer that I, I mentioned in Psalms 139 and 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous or wicked way in me. Every now and then we need to talk things out with a friend. We need, may, may need to talk it out with, 
with some, some other person, but let God lead you to a person. Let God lead you to that person. I fear that there are many Christians who study the Bible but who hardly give their own hearts a second look because they have never learned how to do it. The third one is confess. Confess. Once you, once you watch and once you investigate and whatever God shows you and you see and you, what's revealed in your heart, then you got to confess. you got to do what 1 John 1, 9 says. It says this. He says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a marvelous promise, but we must take it, take its condition seriously. If we confess our sin, in other words, if we see the red light and then we bring it to God in confession and trust in the blood of Christ to cover it, and you ask yourself the question, what is the last sin? What is the last sin that I confessed? Once again, A.W. Pink said these words. Many talk about salvation, but few experience the joy of it. There's much of the form of godliness, but little of the power of it. Oh, how rare it is to find anyone who, who knows anything experimentally of, of the power that separates from the world, delivers from self, defends from Satan, Make sin to be hated, Christ to be loved, truth to be prized, and error and evil to be departed from. What's missing? The reality of keeping our heart, watching, investigating, <laughs> watching, investigating, and confessing. Confession must always be first to God. It must always be first to God. We must always find our way back to him. We must always find our way to God. And confession means agreeing with God about whatever that thing is that you, you've watched, you've seen, you've investigated, you've, 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 you've confessed. It means, it, means, it means agreeing with God. It means agreeing with what he reveals and what he shows you. And the fourth thing is this, we have to commit. We gotta, make, we gotta make a commitment. We have to make a commitment. For every, right, every red light on the dashboard showing impulse that leads us away from the Lord, there's a green light that will be its opposite. Green lights are impulses in your soul that reflect what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And you can make a list straight from Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you could add others. You could add forgiveness would be an example. Courage could be another. You know, every one of us have, have, have watched young children, either had young children or watched young children at some point in time in our lives. And, and, and the best way to move a child from something harmful is to get the child's attention focused on something better. You know, you everybody's seen the child, he was headed to something that he didn't have no business fooling with, and you'll say, look, look, and you have a toy or a rattle or something that's gonna get that child's attention and draw him away from the thing that you're trying to keep him from. You're trying to keep his fingers, you're trying to keep his fingers from, from, the, from the socket, you're trying to keep him from the, from the cabinet where the chemicals are, you're trying to keep him from climbing up on the place where he's going to fall and hurt himself. 
So you, you, you shake something else in his sight. So you try to distract him from the three thing that's, that's destructive and focus on the thing that's good or that's helpful or, 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 or that's, that's not dangerous. And so it's the, the A.W. Pink says it's, it's the same thing. He said the best security for the soul against the allurements of Satan is to have it engaged with a lovelier and more satisfying object. A heart which is filled and engaged with good is best protected against evil. It's best protected against evil. If you, it, what we got to do is we got we to watch what we focus on. When that red light comes on, we got to watch what we focus on. And then we have to turn our focus to the thing that's opposite of it. We have to turn our focus to the thing that's opposite of it. We got to identify the green light that corresponds to your red light and then commit to pursuing them. And we can just simply pray this prayer. Lord, by your grace and through your power, I renounce this thing. I want nothing more to do with it. Lord, help me now to grow in this that I seek. Guard my heart from this enemy within. And use the circumstances that have provoked this impulse to sin in my heart to become the occasion of new growth in likeness to Jesus for your glory. That's how Christian growth happens. The very circumstance that provided the red light are the very things that produces new growth and new life in us. It's an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to grow. The red light is to get our attention, but then we need to change our focus, and we need to look at the thing that's opposite, the thing that's contrary, the thing that's opposite of that, that particular thing, and we need to focus on that. And as we focus on it, We'll start to grow. We'll ask God to help us and to grace us and to help us to keep our focus on that green light, on that good thing, so that the goodness in our heart will overcome the evil that's trying to overtake us from the outside, that's trying to overtake us from the outside. And then the, 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 the fifth thing is this. The fifth thing is, is to trust but the person who is far from God has no interest into looking in, into his own heart. But when God gives you a new heart, you have a new interest in keeping it as he, as, as he calls you to do. Examining your heart to discover the trends of sin in your own life is something that godly people do. But when godly people look into their own heart, they find it very discouraging. A lot of times to look at yourself and to face yourself it can be discouraging. I, I, I came to some, some of those moments this week, and I'm, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you the truth about this, about life and things. You really have to come to a place in your life where you really don't like yourself. You have to come to a place and a point and a position in your life where you see something about you, and you really dislike it. You really have to come to that because. There's anything in your life that you do not see where you don't really like it, you will never be able to change it. You will never be able to fix it. You will never be able to get rid of. We can never get rid of what we do not like, what we, what we, what we like. We can't get rid of what we like. And you can, you can relate that to food or you can relate that to anything in life. Anything you like. It's going, to be a, it's going to be a challenge to get rid of. 
anything that's good to you or you think, it's to, think it to be good to you is going to be difficult to get rid of. And so you have to really, really ask God, and, and, and you have to ask God to help you to see, help you to see some of this stuff for what it truly is. Have to ask him to help you to see it for what it truly is. And, and when we look into our own hearts, and sometimes we, we get discouraged, and we're amazed that after all God has done for us, after all we've experienced, there should still exist in our hearts this principle that tends toward a secret, perpetual, and alarming departure from God. We got to realize that, man, every one of us, every one of us, if we're not careful, that desire to walk away is in us. It's there. So looking at your own heart can, can easily lead you to feeling defeated. You know, and, and you know, uh, uh, another quote I read, it says, for every look at self, take ten looks at Jesus. For every look at self, take ten looks at Jesus Christ. Take ten looks at him. Ten, take ten looks at him. Because I'm going to tell you, if you focus on what you see bad, if you focus only on what you see ugly, if you focus on only what you see dirty in yourself, you'll get discouraged and you'll want to quit. You'll feel helpless and hopeless. You'll feel like you cannot change. But take, take one look at yourself and take ten at Jesus. And you've got to trust that he will do what he promised to do. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, not only to forgive us of our sin, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to cleanse us from that thing that's in us that's not right, that's not like him. He will do the cleansing. But guess, like I said before, God will not remove one sin that we're not willing to forsake, that we're not willing to walk away from, to turn away from, to give up on. He, won't, he can't remove one that, we're not, that we are not dissatisfied and displeased with. So we have to come to that place and point in our lives. As we look at our own hearts, we got to remember that by his blood, he opened a fountain for cleansing. And we need it every day of our lives. Let's be done with, with this pious religious or morality, moral superiority that so many have confused for the Christian faith. A lot of folks have, have confused this, this religious, this, 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 this moral superiority. In other words, I don't do things that other people do. In other, in other words, there are certain things in my life I've quit, and so I have a moral superiority over people that don't, and then we have made and labeled this Christianity. But I want to read, read Luke chapter 18. Verse number 10 through 14, everybody knows this story. It says, two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. Now, I want you to first note position. I want, want you to note position. And the position of both men were, one was a Pharisee. In other words, he was religious. He followed a lot of religious activity. Remember what I said about a Pharisee? A Pharisee prayed. He, he, he went to church, he read the word, he had to know the first five books of the New Testament. He tithed and he fasted and he did all these things. And so, therefore, I want you to understand position. And then the other one was a publican. A publican, which is a tax collector, was despised and rejected and hated in that day. Why? Because he, he was a man that over-collected on taxes. In other words, the more money he could get from you, the more money he could put in his own pocket. 
That's why tax, tax, tax collectors were hated then, and to a certain degree, they're even hated now. But I want you to see that they, the Pharisee stood and prayed. It says, dust with himself. In other words, he stood off away from the, away from the public, and then he prayed this by himself. And he said these words, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are. Comparing yourself among yourselves. The Bible said when we do that, we become food. He said, I'm not, I'm not as other men are, extortionists, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I'm not, I'm not like, these men, like this man. And then he went on to talk about some external things that he did that made him believe that he had internal righteousness. He said, now, I fast twice in a week. I fast. I fast. Let me find my place. He said, now, I think that I'm not as other men are extortions, unjust, adultery, even as it's public. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And then the man, the publican, the tax collector, realizing who he was, realizing that his external circumstances didn't produce righteousness on, on the inside of him, realizing that he had overcharged some people for taxes, realizing his wrong, realizing how bad and destitute he was, he said, the publican standing afar off would not so much as lift up his eyes unto heaven, but smote his chest and said, what? Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And verse 14 tells us, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For listen, for everyone that exalted himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. We should consider others better than ourselves. Why? Because I know me better than I know others. I know the dirt that's on the inside of my heart. I know the thought that accompanies the action, even though the action was good. I know the thought that accompanied that action was evil. Like the man said, eat, drink, you know, eat all you want, but the Bible says his heart is not with you. And the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is it. In other words, I can do one thing with my hand and think another with my heart, but God said, what I do in my heart, that's who I am. That's who I am. That's who I am. So we need to look at our hearts and we need to look at ourselves and see if I'm doing things that I really don't believe or am I saying things that I really don't mean. All of this is hypocritical. All of this comes from a, 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 a defiled heart. It comes from, come, comes from a, a defiled heart. And we need the blood cleansing of the blood of Jesus. The sin that lurks in our heart are not greater than the power of the blood of Christ to go on cleansing our lives. And guess what? He loves to do it. He loves to do it. Jesus loves to do this. He loves to work in us and cleanse us and to make us like him. A gentleman named Andrew Gray put today's message in a single sentence. He said, Christians can never trust their hearts too little and they can never trust God too much. We can never trust our hearts too little. And we can never trust God too much. Don't ever put, much too, don't ever put confidence in your own heart, believing that you're righteous based on you. Righteousness comes from God. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I'm not righteous based on what I do. I'm righteous because Jesus made me righteous, and because of what he made me, what I do become righteous because it comes from him. It's not I, as Paul said in Galatians 2.20, it's not I but Christ that lives in me. It's Christ living in me. 
that makes me righteous. He doeth the works, as he said about his father in him. He said, I, he said why call me righteous? Why, why call me good? There's none good but one. Why did he say that? He said, because I, I'm not doing this work. God is doing the work. So don't call me good. Call God good because he's doing the work in me and through me. And in the same regard, that's how Jesus wants us to live. He don't want us to think that we're righteous in ourselves because of some activities that we perform, because we're church members, because we're tithers, because we fast, because we give, because we do certain things. He wants us to, uh, us to know that we're righteous because Jesus himself made us righteousness. And I receive his righteousness by faith. And I yield myself to him so that he can live his life through me. And so that everything that comes out of me that's good, I can say, it's not I that do the work, but it's Jesus that's living on the inside of me. He doeth the work. Now, I can lay claim to the evil. I can lay claim to the bad part. But anything good that comes out of me, it's because of my God. It's because of my Father. Are you honest with yourself? Are you truthful with you? Or are you blaming other people? Are you willing to take a serious look at your heart? Examine your heart. Are you, are you really considering think today after today's message about caring for your heart? Guard your heart with all diligence. Protect your heart with all diligence. For out of it flows the issues of life. From that heart can come dreams. It comes joy and peace and love and all the things that we so desire. It comes out of a heart that's been protected, that's been sheltered, that's been fed good. Let's start today tracking down those traitors on the inside and resisting those enemies from the outside. Let's start today of getting our heart in tune with God on a day-to-day -day basis because anything out of tune sounds terrible and horrible. It's not pleasing to the people around us, nor is it pleasing to the God that we say we serve. Every action, let the words from my mouth, meditation of my heart be acceptable in this sight. Let us let us, everything we do in word or deed, let us, let us do it all to the glory of God the Father and of Jesus his Son. Let us pray. Lord, we just bless you. We praise you. We worship you. We honor you, Lord God. We thank you today, sir, for, for speaking to our hearts and challenging our minds. And I pray now, Lord God, that you would grace us. Holy Spirit, help us. Holy Spirit, help us to take a serious look into our own hearts, a serious look at ourselves. Let us be like God, not look on the outward appearance of man, not look at what we do with our hands, but what we actually say with our hearts. I pray, Father, that you help us to see. Remove the scales from our eyes, the plugs from our ears, the veil from our hearts so that we can see, hear, and understand and know what the will of God is. I pray against the spirit of deception and deceit lies that Satan would put on us and make us believe that we're better than others, that we're better than somebody else, when the truth of the matter is, I should judge others better than me. I should judge others better than myself. Why? Because I know me better than I know others. And you didn't tell me to guard the heart of my neighbor. You told me to guard my own heart. Lord, I ask for your help in doing this, and I bless you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure to subscribe and share with somebody you know. And tune in next week for more sermons from Truth and Love Ministries Church.